Thank you for downloading this, the first Wings Museum podcast of 2022. Later, we'll talk to museum co-curator Daniel Hunt about the museum's role of remembering people's sacrifice in war and keeping their stories alive. But first, we visit the workshop for an update on a restoration project that we've spoken about before, the North American B-25 Mitchell Bedsheet Bomber. My name's Dave and I'm a volunteer at the museum. I've been working here about three months now. And I've got involved in this because I've worked on aeroplanes all my life since I was a, an apprentice when I was 16 years old. And I took early retirement last year from Virgin Airways. But I'm an avionics engineer by trade, so I wanted to do something different. So I've got involved in restoring this wing with my good colleague Barry, who's not here today. He's on the Yes Another World Cruise. But he used to work for Hawker Sydney building Harriers. So he's very experienced uh, more than I am. So I'm learning quite a lot off of him and uh, just making up as I go along, really. But I work to an aircraft standard, so that's what I'm trying to do. And I guess knowing that standard is actually quite important, yes, isn't it? it is, uh, yeah. But a lot of the um, repair pieces of metal we're using are not aircraft grade, but they are, you know, proper aluminium stuff. They're a similar size. Yeah. So what are you trying to achieve? That's probably a good start, okay. because um, last time we were in the workshop here, I think the wings had just been moved in and yeah, were, I, I think the polite way of putting it is that they were in a bit of a state. Yeah, well, that was all before I arrived here. <laughs> but the, um, where the, uh, the outboard wing sections join the engine nacelles, the, uh, the, the joints are corroded very, very badly. And uh, I think the museum looked at having some pieces made and they were quoted something like £8,000 per piece, you know, their castings. So... Uh, Barry's come up with a repair where we've used just normal aluminium, but as thick as the original castings. And he's come up with like a repair scheme to make it very similar to what was originally there. So that, uh, you know, when the aeroplane's back together again, it will be as good as it was before, but it would never, ever be airworthy. So, so it's structurally it's sound. It's structurally sound. I mean, you, you'd be able to jump on down and, and things like that. <laughs> I'm sure that yeah. would go down really well. <laughs> I'm sure it would do, but um, no, no, it'll be, it'll be as strong as it was. It, it, it might even be stronger yes. because we've put a lot more metal into it. But um, a lot of the angles and metal sections that we're cutting out, you just can't reproduce them. Mm. You can kind of copy them up to a, a certain point and then that's it. But um, I think Barry's happy as long as it's a strong enough to do what it's supposed yeah. to do. For display purposes, For it only needs to go purpose, so far. It only it? needs yeah. to go so far, yeah. You know, when, you don't see what's behind, behind inside a wing. You don't need to because you'll just be looking at the airframe on the outside. Mm. So once it's all painted and camouflaged, it'll, it'll look great. So, so at the moment, we're looking at it without the skin on. You're going through bit by bit. I'm cutting I, out I, all the corrosion um, because the corrosion apparently just keeps spreading. And it's although the, it's dry in here in the museum, if cold. If, yeah, but very cold. <laughs> so the best thing to do is just cut the corrosion away and then repair it with, like, repair sections. But that's, uh, there's a lot of it, as you can see. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's just a lot of it's just eaten away. Where they, I think originally the, um, when the aircraft was built in 19... I think it was in late 1944, they were designed to last probably half a dozen missions. And then that was it. So the, the wings were never painted inside. So there's no primer on the wings. The primer that you can see now was painted by the museum. Mm. They were just bare metal. So it's quite surprising it's lasted this long. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it's done quite well, yeah. Yeah, it has. But it's, um, we've only, I've only just started on 
uh, one side, one wing, and then once we've got this to a where it's strong enough and we can move it, then we can uh, we can replicate it on the other wing. Hmm. But that won't be for a while yet. <laughs> As with all of these things, it's a slow process, isn't it? It is a slow. So, if you if you were working on it seven days a week, um, oh yeah, and you had yeah. fifteen people working on you know both wings, you'd have it finished in probably a month or so. But you know we're working on it once a week, maybe twice a week. Mm. Um, I mean, but that shows. I mean, with that number of people on it, it would still take over a month to do. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, having worked on uh, large jets, you know, they, you throw people at it. Because <laughs> well, the longer it's out of the sky, it's not making Absolutely, any money, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so it, what, what's the method? You, you identify the bit, you cut out a small section and then replace that straight away? Or do you remove all of the bad bits and then hope to rebuild it? Uh, I'm re at the moment, I'm re cutting out small sections, but I'm having to take off quite a bit to access those small sections and then putting it all back again. So... Uh, there was another gentleman who I haven't met yet who was making some repair sections up, which I'm now waiting for, so that I can put the... Uh, he's listening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he will come in with some repair sections, because otherwise I'm going to have to make those, and there's about eight of those, and they're going to take at least probably a day each to make those before we can even think about riveting this all together. Because if I rivet it together, I won't be able to get into where I need to be. So, so at the moment... It's all, it, it's all tacked together. Yes, yeah, so it's held, held together with, with the... Yeah, we call, they're called little uh, cleco clips and, and, and skin pegs. They're called yeah. skin pegs, so... So nothing is final. No, no. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's sort of, you keep going and you get to the point where you know it all fits, you know you've replaced everything you need to, and yes. then you attack it with the, the, the riveting. And then we, yeah, and there's a few piece, pieces I've riveted in. I've only just started learning the, all the riveting terms for, for riveting but it's actually not that difficult it's just knowing what the tools are called and how to use them but i've helped barry do the uh, the wing joint section which is the biggest part of it really yeah. and you know i've helped him do that so we've had a i've had a month's worth of, well two months worth of experience with him doing that so i've been let loose on my own <laughs> because he's not <laughs> and, here. I, and it's actually not that difficult but if, if it, it would be more difficult if you were working to like design drawings where everything's got to be like on an aircraft, it's all accurately drilled. It would take far longer. Whereas we're, I'm basically making a prototype. Yeah, we yeah. call it prototype design. You, yes, it doesn't have to be the same as the previous bit no. because you don't know exactly what size that was. No, and some of it is so eaten away, you don't know what was there before anyway. <laughs> I mean, you do have. I note uh, if we just move over here, you've got a plan. You've you've got a, 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 a cut out drawing from. <laughs> Presumably from the internet somewhere on the line. Is, Does that help? <laughs> we've got drawings for every component on the aeroplane. Which, which Does that I, help? Yeah, well, because I've made all the uh, trailing edge brackets up there, and there's, I think, I can't remember, I've made 26 of them, and I've also made them for the other wing. So are they all identical, or are they all nope, subtly they're, different? They're all, <laughs> they all get slimmer. They're all the same height, but they get slimmer. The, the wing tapers towards the end. Some of them are made from the drawings. And some of them are made from the um, originals. I've just copied them. And the last sort of four, I had to go to the drawings because they weren't there on both wings. But they, they basically, I, I made, I could make three of those a day. So they're two hours each to make those. The other wing is much worse than this on the back end because I think at some point in time, they said it's been forklifted everywhere. So, and the, and the leading edge, which is down the bottom there. Um, yeah, I don't know what that's like yet. <laughs> too low down. We don't, we don't look at that yet. It doesn't look too good. <laughs> but, but the fact you've got the two wings, 
some bits maybe on one but not on the other and you, you and sort I can of mix go and around match. the other side and I can I can sort of look at the other side and th- if it's got enough left I can copy it so it's, it's not you know for dimensions yeah. and things like I mean, that presumably some things are mirrored yeah it gives you a clue it gives you a good clue yeah and yeah. I, you know once you start looking at it you think oh, you know, they've designed it this way because or the other thing I've we've got the old original wing skins although some of them are very poor but they've got all the holes in them where they've been drilled off, so you could li- almost line up where they go. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's not rocket science; it's just it's just a steady plod. <laughs> <laughs> so, you say that you've retired and you wanted to volunteer in a museum. Was this what you had in mind? I don't know what I was going to do. My <laughs> wife told me I was I need I, I restore classic cars for a hobby, and it was either buy another classic car and restore it outside because I don't have a workshop to do it in at the moment, or do something different. So my wife suggested that I volunteer my services somewhere, like in, in the town I live in, there's, there's places where you can take um, items of electrical equipment and things and have them yeah, fixed yeah. for free. She said, why don't you go and volunteer down there? And I was like, that's not really what I want to do. <laughs> and um, I've always been interested in World War II, especially aeroplanes, because I've worked on aeroplanes since I was a kid. So, yeah, I've always, I've always wanted to do this. If I could work at Duxford for a living and be paid that would be great but it never happens and I live too far away from it yeah. so yeah and also the you know I'm working with a lot of people who are ex-aircraft engineers and it's the uh, it's the it, when you retire you miss the buzz of the people and um, I think we all have a good laugh here so that's what mainly what it's all about isn't it <laughs> you can follow the bedsheet bomber project via its very own page on facebook facebook.com slash b25 mitchell bedsheet bomber all as one word Now we move to a warmer part of the museum to find a cup of tea and co-curator Daniel Hunt. I started by asking him what 2022 holds for the museum. We're just uh, sort of beginning to make plans for some quite exciting events, focusing on our Merlin engine runs, which is quite a unique thing. And I think that a lot of people still don't really sort of know about that at the moment, but uh, it's basically where you can hear a very historic engine, the Merlin from Halifax bomber that was shot down in 1943, come alive. And there's the whole story there. And whilst we can't really at the moment contemplate any Bomber Boys signing events, which we have done for many years and they've always been very successful, that has kind of been merged now into the kind of engine runs. We are quite often privileged to welcome George Dunn, DFC, who actually flew Halifaxes in World War Two, and also uh, the de Havilland Mosquito and he flew 45 bombing missions and he is often in attendance and will actually press the start buttons on the engine for us so you know we are sort of um, still welcoming veterans and they're still very willing to attend but uh, in light of the Covid pandemic the sort of the good old days of having a line up and people meeting them face to face and chatting to them are probably at the moment are definitely on sort of hold. But also in 2021, uh, we took the decision mainly because we uh, were very lucky to get more volunteers on board to open a winter opening time, which was basically Saturdays and Sundays. And we had a a close period through Christmas just while uh, we kind of refreshed a few things. And we're actually due to reopen for Saturdays and Sundays this coming Saturday, the 15th of January. And then we will be open Saturdays and Sundays thereafter up until half term week when we will revert back to being open six days a week. So that's slightly earlier than planned? 
It is, yeah. Normally, we're actually closed for half term, which uh, probably doesn't seem a lot of sense, really. So we've decided to sort of extend our opening and sort of create more opportunities for people to come and see the collection. We're still very proud of the public opinion that we have at the Wings Museum and they all learn something here and they see something that they don't see in other museums. Stories from all theatres of war, you know, we don't just limit it to what happened in the UK. We tell lots of personal stories from Japanese, Russians, Polish, Germans, you know, all sides. A lot of stories of younger men who went off and didn't come back again. In many ways, too many of those stories, aren't there? Yeah, and I think from from all nations as well. Um, I think that's the important thing is to remember the kind of human sacrifice of a war. You know, I mean, if any individual grew up in a certain place at a certain time, they would end up, I care if I say this, they would be believing and having a certain sort of belief that might sort of vary from other countries. But at the end of the day, they're all human beings. They're all somebody's son or somebody's daughter and... You know, they, they've been sent out to war. Often they were called up, so they didn't have a look, they didn't really have a lot of choice. I mean, the amount of times that we read the history of sort of airmen and that that were, were pulled out of university, they were training to become an architect and sent to bomb Germany. I mean, there's not a lot that they could do about that other than um, try and do their best and do their best for the rest of their crew and try and get through it. And, of course, many thousands didn't, so... Really, those are the ones that this museum remembers, and not just air crew. We have uh, land war as well. You know, we, we are an aviation museum, but we go beyond that. We cover Burma as well, because that's often a very forgotten war. We all know Captain Tom. We know that he was a Burma veteran, and I think that not only did he do a, an amazing, fantastic thing in raising all that money for the NHS, but he did more than just that. He actually created public awareness on the war in Burma and what was known as the Forgotten Army. And again, you know, everybody celebrates VE Day, World War II is over, but it wasn't. It went on until VJ Day, so there were still people dying in a war that a lot of people back in the United Kingdom thought was over. And I suppose it summarises the craziness of politics and what can happen in the world, you know, that people actually lay their life on the line to uh, protect their loved ones or, you know, just because they have to. Part of remembering the people that have been involved in war and sacrifice uh, and the, the museum, we're working with people, we're working with volunteers, we're working to try and make sure people don't forget. The restorations that are going on here constantly we spoke to Dave earlier about the Mitchell wings that's an awful lot of work they're doing with this purpose of remembering yeah well, that's right we're all volunteers here and the museum simply couldn't function without those volunteers so um, that isn't just restoration and the efforts that are achieved in the workshop which I'll come back to but it also extends to front of house staff people who make visitors feel welcome answer questions uh, people that help us with our school visits that we do, people who give talks to schools, and it is very much a people's thing. And, you know, it's nice to see people from different walks of life coming together and all kind of working at remembering something that I think they feel is very important. And, uh, you know, a lot of the things here, that there is a balance between things that are left as they are because of a particular history. But then, like our B-25 Mitchell, which is a a medium bomber from World War II. That is actually a complete airframe and 
it spent many years sitting outside and because it's a complete airframe it's undergoing quite an extensive restoration by volunteers and you know a lot of them are ex-aircraft engineers but not everybody is i think you know a lot a lot of these guys don't necessarily come from an engineering background but i think they have a sense of feeling about what it's for and that this is a kind of um metal tribute really to what these people were flying and taking to war and you know sort of how young they were and complete airframes from world war ii are quite hard to come by now and they're doing a lot of work on the wings which are probably in the worst condition just just because of the way that the the mitchell is it has a a slight what you call a gull wing so it's sort of the wings actually droop down a bit on the outboard and therefore the water runs there and it, you know all aircraft condensate you get condensation inside and it causes corrosion when you think that this was manufactured in 1944 and has been outside since we think at least since 1976 and not to mention that it was turned out of the uh, north american factory in bare metal because uh the Americans were churning them out at such a rate that they considered that they had air superiority at that time and that camouflage wasn't quite as important and it saved weight and it saved time. So, uh, yeah, when you think that it's also been in natural metal most of its life and certainly when we took the underskins off, there was some really nasty bits of corrosion, but there was some really quite just like still shiny metal with the you know, original metal specification letters on it and, and numbers. So, you know, it's uh, I, I guess it's just wherever the airframe's vulnerable, it suffers corrosion and that's what they're cutting it out and replacing it. And I think visitors like to see the workshop as well. So we will, for groups um, and individuals, if we have enough volunteers, we will actually do workshop tours. And I think people love to see the kind of efforts that go into making these things presentable. And, you know, I mean, the reality is, is if you go to any museum and you see a, a lovely looking airframe there, there's a whole story behind it about how it's ended up in that condition. I mean, you'd be pretty fortunate to come across an aircraft now that is in mint condition. So... Yeah, it's, uh, it's an important side that the museum does, and I think it keeps the museum alive and keeps the interest going. But it's not the cheap bit of the museum either, is it? No, it's not. No, I mean, obviously you can appreciate that, uh, you know, parts from World War II aircraft are highly collectible. If, if they're in sort of really good, flyable condition, then they obviously inevitably end up in the airworthy circuit, and, you know, which we don't quite, disagree quite with. Really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't disagree with that, but... I suppose the advantage what we're doing is that because it's a static airframe and, you know, it has to be static because the spars were cut by a film company some years ago, but that does mean that we can actually salvage a lot of things. You know, we can treat corrosion, uh, we can repair it, and, uh, you know, a lot of effort is put into keeping original structure. But it is expensive because, you know, you have to buy the materials, the paints. We are very lucky that uh, we have a number of companies that actually sponsor us and they do provide free materials for us, which is, you know, really appreciated. So that makes it all the more possible. But uh, it's inevitably finding the parts that's the hard thing. Most of the aircraft that we're restoring are American. So, they're, you know, the parts are inevitably in America. And shipping is, you know, obviously costs a lot of money from America. So sometimes the shipping can actually cost more than the part itself, which sounds crazy, but 
as much as I'd love to go over there and collect it myself, it's not always practical. So apart from the American trips that uh, you've obviously got planned in your head, uh, looking forward to people coming back through the front door. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what everything's about, is about um, showing the public and, and educating them about the history. And yeah, I think most people have an ancestor that was either affected or served in World War Two. So I think that we've all got a connection to it. And I think that, you know, just having people back in the museum, as I say, you know, we're very fortunate that generally the public are very appreciative of the museum and appreciate the kind of the, the volunteer effort that's gone into it. And it's just nice hearing it back to life again because it's been uh, it's been closed now for about four weeks. There's been people here working on displays and cleaning and enhancing and it is uh, a constant battle, um, especially over the winter. It's quite a cold building, so, you know, we really do appreciate the volunteers coming to sort of help us get it ready to open into the public because obviously that's what the museum's about. It's not a private collection that is just shut away. It's there to be seen and it's there to receive families and schools and especially the younger generation. They do actually connect to the museum. I can't explain why, but they, but they do, you know, and that, that's something quite special, I think. Don't forget that you can keep up to date with everything that is going on at the Wings Museum via Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and of course, wingsmuseum.co.uk.